What is the one thing that you would do if you never got paid for it? If you never, if no one ever gave you an accolade for it? Mm. Every year, a hundred million dollars goes unrewarded from universities, from organizations. I, I, I didn't mind. Yes, I mean, think about that. A hundred million dollars mm. each year. But the main thing about finding your purpose is just knowing something that you could do that money's not involved. And if you could just do that one thing, what would it be? And that's what your purpose is. And it doesn't change. Sometimes we're kind of in the same area of what our purpose is, but your purpose isn't going to change. It may look different at certain stages in your life, but I think it's always embedded in us. So you left a six-figure job to do what you're doing now. Yes. So the opposite side of people wanting to make money is sometimes they're making a lot of money and they're still not fulfilled. My business, I'm really heavy again on just exposing families to the possibilities of scholarships if their student wants to go to post-secondary, which I encourage it. Hello friends and welcome back to the Unbounded Growth, the podcast that unlocks the principles to achieving your limitless personal development, leadership, and growth. In today's episode, Adam and I had the privilege of sitting down with educational specialist and certified family life educator, Montage Woods. In this episode, she talks about her journey but we also share a little bit about education and the opportunities that are out there. And most importantly, our last discussion centers around purpose. How do you go about discovering your purpose? And once you've discovered it, what do you do about it? Lontage Woods has more than 20 years of experience with working with children and family. Furthermore, she's also the owner and the CEO of a consulting firm called New Focus. New Focus has a purpose to help families and people on every single stage of their lives. If it's your first time here and you're listening to us on your most favorite podcasting platform, do not forget to follow us so you can stay up to date with all our information. And if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button, but also turn on your notification bell so that you can be informed every time that we have a new episode. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, let's dive in today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unbounded Growth. My name is Mark Allen. I'm here me with Miss Woods and I'm, of course, Adam. A uh, big shout out to our friend Emmy, who has given us a space today for recording in this wonderful space we truly, definitely love it. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> How are you doing, Adam? <laughs> I'm doing well, Mark. How are you doing? I am doing amazing, Miss Woods. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you all for having me. No, it's a great pleasure. Uh, thanks for the work as well that you're doing out there. And uh, we talk a lot about it, a lot about your journey, your faith journey. And yes. a girl from Louisiana living down in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Texas living, but Louisiana lords. That's my hashtag. <laughs> you know, I always say that, you know, we, we Congolese by the grace of God, but American by, by, by choice. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so thank you for, for joining us today. You know, let's let's just dive into it let's start a little bit with your background i know you've spent a lot of years more than 20 years in education how how did this journey get started for you yes this april it will be 23 years wow, as an wow. educator congratulations yes half of my life i'm 46 so yeah. literally half of my life but i began in the louisiana child care system mm. i was a preschool teacher and then i worked my way up became an administrator um, I am a two-time college dropout before getting my first degree. So that's a part of my journey, but I always knew I loved serving children and families. 
That's great. So. Had a little bit too much fun in college. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you share a little bit about that? Um, what was your experience basically going to college or what pushed you to not finish your degree? Is it about the major you're doing or is this something you wanted something different? What was your priorities like at that time? Okay. Well, I came from a very small farm town. So I was sheltered, raised by my grandparents. I had a village and wasn't really ready for all the independence of college. And that's something that now I'm passionate about when I'm talking to high school students, preparing them for college, making sure they understand that you're on your own. No one's waking you up, telling you to go to class. Um, academically, I was a great student, always been an honor student. So it wasn't academically that I couldn't handle it. It was just the independence and not knowing how to, um, to structure that on my own. So that was part of my journey, and um, I went back again, and that time I had more fun. And then when I finally went back, I had to just buckle down, and I graduated almost with honors because all of my other classes before kind of took me from being that honor student, but I mean, mm -hmm. every semester I was hitting a 3.8 to 4.0. Wow, amazing. And I got my bachelor's in child and family studies with a minor in human development. Amazing. That's great. I know, as far as the, the choice of your education, I know you you love you enjoy working with kids. I do. But what prompted you into? How did you figure out that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? I come from a huge family, so like I said, my grandparents raised me. They had eight children, and I'm the oldest of 33 grandchildren. Wow. Okay. That's so I have been around children my whole life. <laughs> Since I was a kid, I've been around children. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much was. That was it. And I come from a family of educators as well. And then at some point in your story, you say that you drop out of college because of the lack of structure, the way you're structuring things. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest difficulties that we see with a lot of people today is once the dropout is always hard to go back in. How did you, you know, push yourself to get back into the educational journey? Right. Well, the first thing was remembering that I wanted to be the first generation to graduate and my grandparents had saved for me to go to college. Um, my grandfather was a very humble but hardworking man. He was a farmer. So I had the opportunity to go to college the first time. Didn't have to take out financial aid. Didn't have to do work study. Just literally just go to class and maintain my grades. And I knew I had to redeem myself because of their legacy. And there's a twist to that because I, I like what you're talking about. Having a family that supports you educationally. Today, we see, especially in our communities, we're talking about people of color, minorities. Mm -hmm. A lot of our parents do not prepare college education for their kids. And, and, and a lot of kids are graduating with humongous amounts of dates. How did that work for you, for your parents or for your grandparents to even take care of you? And what can, can parents today prepare how what can they do to prepare their kids for college and not just you know accumulate debt and, and sometimes having hard time even repaying that right well for my situation back then it was a little bit different because in addition to my grandparents I had that village of my aunts and uncles so everybody kind of pitched in so I had a college fund take a village huh? Start out with, <laughs> yes and when I blew take through that then I had to kind of work my way back up but now I really encourage parents, and it's a part of what I do with my business, mm -hmm. to make sure that, number one, their students know what their purpose is and want to go to college. Mm -hmm. So many students change their majors. And when you're changing your majors and you're dropping classes, 
that affects you financially, whether it's through financial aid or your parents are paying for it mm -hmm. because you don't get that money back for those classes sometimes. Right. But also just taking advantage of any scholarships that's out there. Last time, last time we talked, and, and, and I know we, we I'm, I'm kind of rushing you through getting no, into this great. conversation, especially you mentioned something that I'm still thinking about till today. Mm -hmm. There's almost a million dollars of scholarship that go untouched every single year because kids are not applying for it. Mm -hmm. And and before we dive into that discussion and the things that kids can do in college today. You go from just being an educator to starting up a business. How did that process work? Okay. Well, I want to go back and correct something. It's a hundred million dollars. Hundred million. And this is per okay, Forbes. That, that this almost, is per Forbes I'm magazine. I'm almost passing out now. <laughs> yes. Forbes magazine. So November is National Scholarship Month. So prior to that, I started doing some research just to start preparing, you know, to do some promotional things um, with that on my social media platforms. And they had just released an article that October that came out and it says every year a hundred million dollars goes unrewarded from universities from organizations <laughs> I, 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 yes. I mean think about that a hundred million dollars each year so the money wow. that goes rewarded there's still a hundred million left on the table and what is why is that number one a lot of people don't know how to apply <laughs> and number two I think some organizations and some universities don't do a good job of promoting their scholarships. That's, you know, um, those are the main two reasons for my research that I found. Yeah, I, I, I can see that actually with um, a few things that, are, that I've been involved in and seeing just how people are not aware of what's mm -hmm. happening even just around them. And that's, yes. a, that's a thing that's a, a challenge that we are facing as a community and pretty much around the world. Uh, it's happening. Now I'm going to, um, since we started talking about your business, I want to know what's your really business about. Like, what do you exactly do? Okay. Well, the name of my business is New Focus Family and You Consultant. In addition to being an educator, I'm also a certified family life educator. So I provide information on various topics dealing with families and children, education, um, support through resources, mental health. And one of the things that um, in my education initiative is to push scholarships mm -hmm. and essay writing. Um, a big part of winning a scholarship is writing the essay. Right. Universities, organizations want to know who you are. Mm -hmm. So that essay gives them a kind of window into who you are and what they're bringing into their campus, onto their campus in order to, them, to invest in you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of students don't take advantage of that. And I am also a certified English teacher. I've taught English for several years. So I help with that portion of it and also directing the families to other programs that can help them. Because there's a lot of college prep programs out there. Again, you have to be aware and take advantage of it mm. and probably start around your sophomore year. You can't wait until your senior year and want to start by the end. It's not that it's too late, but you're missing out on some great opportunities. And who do you work with? Who are, what's, uh, what demographics of your, of your customers? I work with every demographic. Of course, I'm definitely minority focused, but being here in Texas, I'm looking to be more um, relatable with the Hispanic community. The school that I work at, shout out to I Am Terrell, STEM and VPA. We kind of have a mixture of minority students, and a lot of them are African-American Hispanics. So I'm currently working on becoming English um, as a second language certified so that I can be able to serve that demographic better. And then you... 
you not only work with families, you also work, you not only work with children, you also work with your families. Why is it important to work with families while you're trying to change the lives of the children? Well, again, that comes from my background in childcare. When you're working in the childcare system, you're seeing the families every day. You know, you're getting to meet them through pickup time, through dropping off. And in order to effectively work with children, I feel like it's important that you work with the family so you can know the structure of where that child is coming from outside of the school setting. So um, it's really important to work with families. And, and when, when it comes now to not everybody has a chance to come out of a great family like like you obviously did, you know, having your, your grandparents and everybody around you trying to push you up for education. And for, for the people that don't come from those type of background, what is kind of like the process that you go through in order to remove those mental, uh, you know, because uh, mental difficulties? Because to be honest, I, I realize that most of what we struggle with is just changing our way of thinking, believing that, you know, um, uh, I can go to college or believing that I can graduate from college. Like in my own history, if, uh, you know, what I always tell, I always tell, tell, tell Adam is that I, I don't think I was, I was born the smartest dude on planet earth. And it took me a while to even accept that I could be intelligent, that I could go to college. I could even graduate from high school. Now from, Kids, a kid like me, for so, so, so to say, that has come out of a background like that, what do you do to help them say, listen, not only you can go to college, but you can get these scholarships. Not, not only you can get these scholarships, but you can also graduate. What is that process like for you? Well, it definitely first starts with the mindset. I've worked with different demographic of students. I've worked in urban areas. I've worked in areas that was a little bit more... Um, Affluent, and the main thing is the mindset, you know, and that's why I was really, um, it's really important that students understand that no matter where you come from, you need to know what your purpose is. You know, purpose drives everything, is the foundation for everything. A lot of students that I work with come from families that, again, were not big on education, they may be the first person in their immediate family to graduate. And some of them, that's a drive for them to want to break that, that generational curse. For others, nothing is expected of them. So you have to do a lot of motivating. You have to do a lot of, again, get in their mindset that you want to be that person to break the mold because they see a lot of poverty and things around them from people that didn't get an education and how they're limited in their possibilities. And you know, you, you just mentioned a word uh, that uh, we definitely can take us whole night to, <laughs> to discuss <laughs> purpose. Yes. And I'll be honest. Sometimes you think you know what your purpose is. And then 10 years later, you hit 30s like, what is it that I want to do in my life again? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and even with education, like sometimes you go to college, get this degree, and like, you know, I love, I'm going to be a lawyer. And you get into the fields like I hate this job. I hate what I'm doing. <laughs> right. So let's 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 tackle the first one. How do you go about discovering your purpose? I think now it's easier for young people because they're exposed to so much, <laughs> and they also kind of set their own path for certain things. Um, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of people were kind of grounded in, this is what I'm going to do because someone told them what they were going to do. Yes. Right. There's a lot of young people now that 
they may come from families that went to college, but they may not be what they want to do. And no one's going to force them because they feel like, I don't want to waste the time or the money. So they may have another interest. But the main thing about finding your purpose is just knowing something that you could do that money's not involved. And if you could just do that one thing, what would it be? And that's what I try to encourage young people. What is the one thing that you would do if you never got paid for it, if you never, if no one ever gave you an accolade for it? And that's what your purpose is. And it doesn't change. Sometimes we're kind of in the same area of what our purpose is, but your purpose isn't going to change. It may look different at certain stages in your life, but I think it's always embedded in us. It's just up for uh, it's up to us as adults to guide young people in it and for them to be accepting to that. But then as an educator, you, you talk about finding one's purpose, something you can do that, you know, even if don't pay you a dime for it, you still do it. And I feel like a lot of kids in this generation now are using that as an excuse not to go to college. Just like, you know what? Well, I'll find my purpose. Right. I'll be a rapper. Some and, of them are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of them it. are because they're, yeah, they're looking at social media stars making $4,000 a day by getting, you know, all these followers. So there are some students that are like, you know, they're really into social media and they want to be an influencer. That's their main goal. Like that's what's driving them because they see it happening. They see people that they look up to or they follow making a lot of money. A lot of them did not graduate, um, did not go to college. And it's all about the fame also for a lot of them. And in that you case, know? what's your plea for going to college then? My plea, I tell them you need a certification. Mm. Everyone is not going to go to a four-year college if you want to mm. do cosmetology. So if you're following, um, what's the Kardashian girl that has a billion-dollar makeup line or the lip gloss, lip gloss line? Find your purpose in that. I mean, even if you want to do that, if you want to do anything outside of a four-year college, you need to make sure that you're certified. You know, I'm not going to go to a cosmetologist. I'm not going to go to anyone that's not certified and <laughs> get a professional service done. Right. You know, so yeah. that's what I try to tell them. And a lot of them get it. Um, and the great thing about education now, they're preparing students um, for post-secondary the school that I work at, we have an amazing um, college and career readiness coach. So we do a lot of field trips. I was speaking to Adam about that. Just that early exposure, ninth, tenth grade, exposing them to different careers, taking them to technical schools, taking them to community colleges, you know, letting them see the hands-on, real-time career path they can go on. And a lot of them, they like that because they know, well, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. But working a nine to five for this generation, I don't see it working because they're very they're into nice things, and nice things cost a lot of money, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> yeah, we, in that perspective, uh, I would actually want to ask, uh, what's more important? Is it to make money or to have a purpose? You ask me what I think or what young people <laughs> what, think? What, what do you think? Because, yeah, because it's kind of a, it's, it, it's a challenge in today's uh-huh. world, right? Um, you hear people tell you like a purpose doesn't pay bills. Um, you can have a you can have a <laughs> drive. Um, like mm-hmm. I I'm a I'm a very good example of that. Okay. Uh, I quit a six figure job to follow a purpose, and of course it's coming with a lot of um, um, headaches. A lot of mm-hmm. um, uh, you need to cut your budget. You need to figure out um, you know my salary is divided by four or five. And now I have to figure out, like, okay, oh, of course, I'm doing this for to be better in the next after five years. And we live in a in a time of um, 
of a, a, a quick reward of like we don't we don't like something that is kind of like pushed back as yeah, a reward. We want instant gratification. We want something that is now like the same. Something happened with my my little brother who's who is a lawyer. After law school, he's he graduated top of his law school, got a job as a lawyer, and he's he's practicing and they're paying him. And my dad shows up in the morning. He's like, well. You gotta be. Um, there's this training. You can become a magistrate, and um, he did the math. He looked at <laughs> okay, going back through um, magistrate training or whatever. It's probably gonna take a couple of months, and the magistrates don't get paid as much money as a lawyer is is getting right now. So now he's like, well, what do I do? What uh, like he's like, yeah, I don't wanna. Come on, like it's it's this is a no-brainer. <laughs> so, what do you think would be more essential? Figuring out your purpose or finding the best way to make the cash? Okay. To, you know. Well, I want to ask you a question based on what you just said. So, you left a six-figure job to do yeah. what you're doing now. Yes. So, the opposite side of people wanting to make money is sometimes they're making a lot of money and they're still not fulfilled. That's how you know you have a, a higher or a deeper purpose. And it doesn't always happen instantly. You know, a lot of people switch careers after a long time or after a few years and say, this isn't really what I want to do at this stage. So, again, sometimes it comes easier, and then sometimes people have to take a little bit longer. But you will not be happy unless you're working in your purpose. You know, you may tolerate it because it's paying the bills and you're comfortable, but there's a lot of people. And I know for COVID, COVID really spawn a lot of career changes Agreed. in people. Yeah, that's true. They had time to evaluate what was important in life. They had time to kind of be still because everybody was on a lockdown for the most part. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people made some significant career changes and they walked away from a lot of money. But that's they say true. they're happier, their family ha- is happier, they're healthier, they have more peace. That's pretty much my story, so that actually. Trade-off, <laughs> it's, it's a trade-off. And again, it's going to happen for different people at different times. But at the end of the day, purpose is always going to prevail over profits. Yeah, and just going back to your business again, um, I would like to for you to kind of just walk us through um, a sample of a case. Like, um, I have a kid uh, who is um, almost it's almost time for them to go to college, or um, they are lower classes in high school. And I'm like, hey, I really don't know what to do. Um, I didn't go to college myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I find that um, Lontage is here and can help. Uh, what exactly would the kid go through uh, and how long is the process until they reach uh, the destination where, where you can be like, hey, from here, the kid can fly on their own? Okay. <clears throat> Well, like I said, the high school that I'm working at currently, we have a college and career coach. So my job as a student support specialist, um, I work for federal programs on the school campus. So I have a caseload of emerging bilingual students and also students that have different disabilities, but they're high functioning. A lot of them are college bound. And what we do, we pretty much, again, that exposure going on field trips. So we select certain students to go on field trips based on their interests. So the UT Dallas field trip, we're taking a lot of the STEM students. So they'll be there, they get to be exposed to the different departments, ask questions. We also bring people into the campus, but most importantly, our PTA, they're working with the families really heavily. Separate from my educational aspect of getting ready for college with my business, I'm really heavy on, again, on just exposing 
families to the possibilities of scholarships if their student wants to go to post-secondary, which I encourage it. Again, everyone is not going to go to a four-year university, but there's some great technical schools. There's some great um, community colleges. You know, you have to think about also not just the cost, but some students don't want to go far away from home. Right. You know, they may need to stay and work to help out families. Um, a lot of the Hispanic families, they may have businesses and the students have to go to school and work part time. So that all those situations differ. But the main thing is giving people options. As a family life educator, once people are giving information and options, hopefully they can make an informed decision from there. But if you're not aware, you can't decide on anything. And what would be, and uh, maybe we've asked this, but I just want to, again, make it uh, clearer. What would be a great incentive why you should go to a four-year university and pay a lot of money? Well, there will be an option, as you said. Uh, there are options where not everybody should go to college, but uh, kind of everybody should go to college. <laughs> yeah, so now what would be that, that reason as to... Why or what would be one thing that uh, you think could incentivize somebody to go to college? For, to a four-year university? To a four-year university, yes. yeah, to finish a full curriculum. Right. I think the main thing, and then we talked about this earlier, some people have to take the path of community college or junior college first for those two right. years mm -hmm. and then move on to a four-year university. But to go straight from high school to a four-year university, I think is about the affordability mm -hmm. and also what you want to major in. Right. Going back to the school that I work at, some of the students, they are also art majors. So some of them are already making money with their artwork, but they're also looking to maybe become more proficient in that. So they want to go off to Chicago or New York or, or do a program here in Texas for four years. They have to be offered the money for that because most of them don't have the funds from their parents. Mm. So if you're offered $50,000 to start off with and you look at that as, okay, this is a great start to go to... UT Austin or Texas Tech or wherever, or LSU, my school, um, why not? Go Tigers. Yes, go Tigers, <laughs> why not, you know? So it comes down to the funding, definitely. Was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I'm obviously not from here. You can tell by my Texan accent. <laughs> <laughs> I had noticed. <laughs> you know, when, when, when I migrated to the United States, mm -hmm. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I went to Tarrant County College and to me, I was like, this is great. I love it. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, it's cheap. Yeah. It's getting me the education I want. The class is much smaller. I have more access to my Definitely. professors. Why do, and I've seen it a lot of natives, why do more American kids, I mean, you talk about the whole spectrum, from black to white, Mexican mm -hmm. or whatever, most kids that were born here, feel like it's a shameful, shameful thing to go to a junior college or a community college. Why do you think that is? And, and, and a lot of kids, you know, it's like when you're talking to kids that are going to a four-year university, they brag about it. I'm going to UT Austin. I'm yeah. going to UT Austin. I'm at UT Dallas. So I'm going to LSU. But when you talk to someone who's going to a JUCO, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just taking some classes, <laughs> trying to figure true. out what's going on. What, what do you think yeah, that's causes so true. that? And, and people are not realizing that sometimes just a, a math question, you, this is how much money you save for the first two years, and you can still go to great university. I have a, a gentleman that I know. He, he was at TCC, graduated with 4.0. After that, went to Harvard, and then went to MIT for, for his master's. And, and the whole time, why do you think that that is? Yeah. 
I think, again, it has to do with people being informed. <laughs> Sometimes we like the optics of seeing we're somewhere, we're doing something. But when you look at, like you said, the numbers, that you can pay maybe half for those three credits than you would at a four-year university than two. And if you're getting a scholarship, that's more money you can have in your pocket. Mm. But when people aren't aware and they're not informed of, of those options, again, it's more of, okay, I want to do what seems like what's the mainstream. And right. some people are very caught up into that. Um, I want to clarify something. LSU is the school that I represent the most, but I graduated from another great university, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. But LSU was my dream school. Right. Couldn't get in. I didn't have the math scores at the time. It was really hard to get into LSU in 95. And um, the school that I went to, again, it was a party school, but it was still a great university. And I say that to say a lot of people that went to LSU, they party there too, but they couldn't handle it because the affordability. We have something in Louisiana called TOPS. So there's a lot of criteria you get to pay for school. Again, you have to meet those requirements. There were so many students that left from LSU and came to UL Lafayette, and they felt embarrassed by that. Wow. It's still a four-year university. It's still an academic institution. You still but get a good degree. It's the <laughs> of the name. Yes, it's the optics of the name. And I feel horrible saying that LSU is my school. It's my favorite school, but I love my university. Um, I love UL Lafayette. Um, it's a great school, but it's the optics of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Just... That's what it is, you know, and no one should feel embarrassed about anything because any type of post-secondary endeavor is something you need to be proud of and take full advantage of it. Mm. You know, you just share that example to go from Tarrant Community College to Harvard to MIT. Mm. You have to start somewhere. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. So that's what I would encourage someone. If you need to do the community college route for whatever reason, it's not because you can't go to a four-year university. Maybe you're not ready to leave home at 18, and you want to just drive 30 minutes to 45 minutes to be on college, you know, in college near a campus that's close to your home. Mm. Take advantage of it. And then you you talk, we, we've talked a lot about information, the lack of information. Mm-hmm. Where do people, because you, you obviously have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Where do you get this information from? Yeah. Like sometimes, from here. <laughs> but, I mean, I, 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 I see a lot of TikTok videos yes, on my phone. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't I know where you get your information you know, from. They speak, you mentioned TikTok. You spend so much time on TikTok. I tell it to my students that I work with. Are you researching certain things? I tell it to my niece. I have two nieces that's graduating this year. Both of them are college bound, working with them on scholarships. But I hold them accountable. I can send you the scholarships that's available. Right. But you need to sit two hours aside and mm-hmm. look for those scholarships and do your research and make sure that you meet the requirements. Everything we need is at the, at our fingertips, but you have to take time and do it. Mm-hmm. You have to Google those things. You have to, um, I watch the news a lot. Like being raised by my grandparents, I always watch the five thirty, six o'clock, 10 o'clock news. You find <laughs> out so much stuff on the news, you know, like really good information. I'm serious. And, um, you just have to want to be informed. Mm-hmm. You know, this stuff is not going to pop out to you. You have to make connections, networking. I'm here now speaking to you all because I met you at a networking event. Right. You know, um, we have to, if you want something, you have to set your priorities and be laser focused on that objective. Because if not, you're just going to be all over the place. And when you say you're not aware, is it because you didn't want to be aware or you just, no one told you? It's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to ask questions. You know, and that's for parents, that's for students. Um, 
even for, for high schools, high schools have to find this information out and get their students prepared to take advantage of all the great opportunities out there. You know, we're going back to the $100 million. It's sitting there because, again, people are not making themselves aware. And every university, every organization doesn't have the marketing or the advertising to put towards making you that aware. Because if you do, then they're pulling away money from the scholarship. So um, I think they could do a better job. But at the same time, you just have to, you know, you have to kind of do your research, ask questions, you know. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, and I'm just going to go a little bit at the personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the week, uh, this entire week, I've been, uh, in the, this past week, I was at a few events, and I attended a few talks and a few meetings uh, where I was discussing with people different ways of uh, minorities getting involved into stuff, mm-hmm. and just um, the idea of representation. And this, I'm going to go uh, to the point of, of women. And this is going to be women in leadership. Um, Lontage, we're we we having a discussion, and you are a woman in leadership. And you are empowering other people. You are helping other. And like, I, I would make an assumption that a lot of girls would identify with you, and they could um, trust you to be in their life and be through their process because they can easily identify with you. But one thing that I've seen in the crisis of leadership is that there are less and less women in the places of decisions. And this is just uh, like, I was in a meeting, a very important meeting for an institution, and it was, everybody could, could be in that meeting. Like, everybody's invited completely. But out of the 13 people who showed up, which means it's already a minority, imagine you're inviting like 5,000 people, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 13 people show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the 13 people who showed up, 12 of us were guys. There was one girl. Now, as a woman, as a person who leads, what do you think we could do as a society to push women or to support women, not just to push them, but to support women mm-hmm. and um, encourage them to be a part of this, um, to be a part of leadership? to actually take initiatives and to be in the, on, the, on the table of decision. Okay. <clears throat> well, I don't know exactly the circumstance around the meeting that you attended, but again, making people aware. You know, um, I know women that are really go-getters are striving to be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. They're doing their research, such as myself, such as a lot of people I network with, such as a lot of my colleagues. But I think to have that awareness there so that they can be informed, but also make it a safe space. How was, how did the one woman in there respond in a room with 12? She might have had her own, but you know it has to be a safe space because some rooms may not be a safe space for women as far as to voice their opinions and then to be heard and to be taken seriously. And I think that's definitely needed because we have a lot to say. We can partner with the other gender and make things happen, but we have to have that awareness and that safe space to do so. And as far as you're concerned, how how was that journey for you? Did it come from from your family that you know pushed you to to get into position into leadership, or was it more of like you know you you went out in the world and said, "Listen, I have a voice and I can sit on the table and I speak." What was the journey like for you? 
Well, it comes from my family. Um, a part of it is my family, but also just me being an advocate, you know, and I think we all can be an advocate for something, but seeing something that's not right and just having it get to the point where it's like, I just cannot say anything, you know? So it's just really wanting to be an advocate for certain things and just making sure again, that my voice is heard, but just not settling for something being the way it is because just the way it is. And that's not because just I'm a woman it's because I'm a human being and I believe in human rights and I believe in being a good citizen as well. Um, just this past week, I met with the mayor of the city I live in, Arlington, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I had been trying to get on his calendar, and I finally met with him, and it went really well. And the first thing I told him when I, um, after I thanked him for giving me that opportunity mm -hmm. was that I'm not just a resident of this city. I want to be a citizen. Mm -hmm. And I don't want right. to complain about certain things. I want to be able to, to serve and to work. Mm -hmm. And from there, he gave me a seat as a youth liaison on... Um, a black uh, African-American coalition for that city. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm excited to do the work there, but it goes back to, again, I wasn't afraid because two previous times when I met him, mm -hmm. I told him, you know, I need to get on your calendar. And I had worked with the previous mayor when I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And with that, it was just going to different community events. And she had something one time, me and another young lady showed up. She did a lot of community activism, and she was like, I want y'all a part of my council. Mm -hmm. And we were going full throttle until COVID took place. Mm -hmm. So just just knowing that you can have a voice and people will take you serious if you make that known, mm -hmm. you know. That's amazing. And now, what do you do in order to develop yourself and not deal with fear? Because mm -hmm. I think fear is a big factor yeah. in a lot of things, and a lot of people... I've met people with great talents, mm -hmm. great voices who are afraid to sing. I've met people with great art who are afraid to draw. Mm -hmm. People with great skills who are afraid to speak on the table or to, to just voice up their opinion. How do you, did you get to a point of gathering up your courage and be like, you know, I, I'll do what I'll do? Right. I wasn't always like that. I think it was always in me, but just mm -hmm. different life situations. And again, just wanting to advocate for something. Just... Mm -hmm not accepting the status quo. Mm -hmm. And it just developed into me, you know, being, like I said, a, a advocate and a person that's just not going to settle. And I teach that to young people. Right. I think that's a big part of it, too. I don't want to tell them something that I'm not doing. And mm -hmm. I still have fear, you know, but it's mostly doubt. I always do this hashtag called faith over fear, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's just that doubt sometimes. But um, I'm, I'm in go mode with everything that I'm doing. Like I said, COVID had a really big impact on me in a lot of areas of my life and um it's just been full steam ahead since then the transition from louisiana to here let's let's talk about that you little know. song what what <laughs> what were those covid years oh like for you yeah covid was really difficult because um in louisiana i like to say we were on a real lockdown like you know our state is very small we don't have a lot of hospitals so our governor and all the health officials were really adamant about just being on lockdown you know, and I live by myself, so I really wasn't around anyone a lot. So it gave me a chance to be still. It gave me a chance to really think about and reevaluate some things in my life, and both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to make some decisions, and um, I did it. I sacrificed a lot. I left a lot of things behind in Louisiana, but I haven't looked back. And then that's that's the other the other portion. I mean, you're leaving the known for the unknown. You you're coming to Arlington, Texas. 
you know, it's a different city. It's, it it's a lot of different people. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of that. What was that transition like for you? Well, I'm, I'm still transitioning, actually. <laughs> but um, as far as traffic, now, this is a funny thing. I lived in Baton Rouge, like I said, before moving here. Mm -hmm. Arlington traffic is a breeze compared to, I love Louisiana, but our traffic is, is horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our traffic is really bad. So um, adjusting as far as just the daily living, you know, it's been a transition, but I love it because I know I was purposed to be here. You know, I know it wasn't a move that I made. It was God taking me mm -hmm. to where I needed to be at this point in my life and to meet the people mm -hmm. that I've met and to do the things that I'm doing. So um, I, I've just never looked back on it. Once he gave me that piece about it, I just had to move on it. And why, why, why Texas, though? I mean, you could have gone anywhere. <laughs> right. Louisiana. Well, it was going to be Texas or Georgia. Yeah. So, yeah um, I work for federal programs, so I literally could work anywhere in the country or um, U.S. territory, Guam, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands. Like, I would always get offers there. But I knew, again, coming here to Texas, it was going to be bigger than just, like, for my job. I knew I was going to start a business, didn't have the name, didn't know all the specifics. But everything that I had did previously, I knew was the foundation. And um, just Arlington was where, it's a crazy story, but it's kind of like a coming to America story. Yeah. So I had two different states, Georgia and Texas. And literally, I was driving home Thanksgiving of 2021. And God was like, wherever you move is going to start with an A. So I remember when I got to my grandmother's house, I unpacked and everything. And I started scrolling on my phone for like cities in Georgia and Texas that start with the A. And I just picked three. I think my three here were Arlington, Amarillo, and I forgot the other one. And in Georgia, it was Atlanta, Athens, and another A. And I just was praying on it. I have the scripture and everything still in my phone saved. And probably about a week or so before Christmas, Arlington. That's that's what he showed me. Like, it's no joke. Like, Arlington. I have nothing but family in Houston. My brother's in Austin. My best friend is in Austin. Hmm. He just wanted me to come somewhere where there was no one. I mean, I know no one in Arlington. Oh, wow. Like, no one. <laughs> that's a big leap of faith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's huge. Like, Fort Worth. I have a cousin in Fort Worth. But, um, you know, just like, why Arlington? Yeah. People ask me, that, why are you in Arlington? Yeah. Not <laughs> Dallas, not Fort Worth, not, you know, any of these other places. Like, Arlington. Amazing. So, yeah. uh, you're also a big reader. You, you enjoy reading. Yes. How did that journey start for you? Was it, you know, I, I, I shamefully admit that I didn't start reading until after high school. That's that's when I, I started even picking up a book to to read and finish. I finished my first book. I think I was in my last year of high school or something like that. How was that journey for you, your reading journey? I think it came from growing up, like I said, in a small town. So when we weren't playing outside, it was like too hot or it got nighttime. I always, I was a kid that went to the book fair and didn't buy like all the little trinkets and erasers and all that stuff. I actually brought books. Wow. wow. So I just, <laughs> wow. it just opened up my, my world to more possibilities, you know, and I've just always loved reading. And when I went into what I wanted to teach, I wanted to be a reading teacher. So I'm certified to teach um, four through eight English and language arts. And I'm also big on just the whole literacy theme. So next month is National Reading Month. 
So my business is going to be promoting a lot of authors, a lot of African-American authors. It's also Women's History Month. So I have um, some women I'm going to be spotlighting who I feel are going to be like the next Toni Morrison. One of them is an amazing young lady from Louisiana. She survived Katrina at five years old, and she wrote a book called Celeste Saves the City. And she's now a civil engineer because she became fascinated with the levees and how they broke. Mm, amazing. So I'm going to be spotlighting her and she's going to be doing a podcast with someone um, that I network with and just getting her story out there and encouraging young girls to, to read, all kids, but particularly young girls to Absolutely. read and to write books. Right. Because she knew, she said like around eight or nine that she wanted to write this book. That's, it was like great. an imaginary thing of how she could have saved the city of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think I should have on your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She's on IG yeah, with us. Yes. Her name who, is Courtney Kelly. Shout out to Courtney Kelly. Yes. I will shout out anybody from Louisiana. I love my home state. Yes. And she's here in the DFW now. That's great. So oh, that's she's an amazing, amazing young lady. Um, but yeah. That's great. So, that's an amazing story. Yes. So, you know, just just love. I have a vegan cookbook. Um, she's actually one of my former parents. She wrote a vegan cookbook, Nettie Johnson. She's from Baton Rouge. So she's going to be on. So uh, I'm really going to do a lot of promoting during mm-hmm. National Reading Month, encouraging people to read, have a couple of incentives for some students that read um, books and um, can kind of do like a 30-minute thing with me and kind of give me like a summary of it. Kind of mm-hmm. like what I would do with my students in school because you're not really reading if you don't comprehend you know, <laughs> that's a good point. I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I really want to talk about that reading portion. You work mm-hmm. a lot with kids, and nowadays it's much easier to scroll on TikTok than it is to read. Mm-hmm. It's always been much easier to do everything else than read. Right. To, yes. At least for me, uh, how do you get someone to get to read when to want to read? I mean, I, I could <laughs> I could force you to read for your math days, right. but yeah. how do I help inspire the person to mm-hmm. want to do it on their own? Okay. Well, like I said, in the role I have now, I provide support to students and to teachers. So most of my students that are struggling, they're struggling in the humanities course, which is reading Mm. and also writing. And it's just literally just telling them like, this is a life skill. And that's what reading is. Reading is a life skill. I know you may not like the content of what you're reading. You may think it's boring, Mm -hmm. but you're, you're grasping the skill of what you're reading more so than anything. Yeah. The writing is just a whole nother beast because, of course, everybody texts now. Right. So they have to realize you need to write for an academic purpose as mm-hmm. opposed to wanting to abbreviate everything the way you would in a text. Before. I mean, they literally, <laughs> yes, they literally want to turn in work like this to teachers. And it's like, and I had this one student, Um, he's so funny, but that's the way he wants to write. And he's like, well, that's my method of, of, I always use the word written expression, of expressing myself through writing. But it's not appropriate for school, <laughs> right. you know. But um, he's really smart. But he, you know, it's just to him. Yeah, and he wants to be an engineer. So um, go figure. <laughs> he's awesome in his science and math. But he's just, he really, he just struggles with wanting to write. He's getting better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just doesn't see the purpose of, you know, writing. You tell him to write 800 words, which is three pages, double space. Mm. He's acting like you're asking him to write like an encyclopedia of books. You know, it's just, it's just, it's the generation. So it's just trying to motivate them, you know, because a lot of them don't see the purpose in it. But no matter what job you have, again, it's a life skill for a career. And also just to understand like medicine and different things like that, you know, the comprehension part of it. You don't have to be this amazing reader, but you have to have, you know, some really strong comprehension skills to, um, 
just to get a gist of what you're reading. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and reading does help with other aspects of life too, even mm-hmm. in engineering. You want to be able to communicate. You want to yes. be able to give a presentation in right. front of people yes. and to use the right words at the right place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's very important. Yeah. Now, my next question is it's about reading. I would like to know how did reading change your life? Like how um, does that impact even your daily life right now? Mm-hmm. Well, a part of what I do on my job, um, so I work for federal programs, but I do a lot of compliance. So I have to read anywhere sometimes from eight to maybe 42 page documents. Now, to be honest, to I, sift I, through those documents. I, I love reading, <laughs> yeah, but why right. I need to comply? I'm not sure. <laughs> to sift through those documents because they're federal documents, yeah. um, IPs, and to comprehend what they're saying. So, like, me coming into my job this year, if I got an IEP from someone that, if I'm writing it, I pretty much know what it says because I'm the one writing it. But if right. someone else wrote it, I have to kind of transcribe that and say, okay, this is the type of services the student is supposed to be having based off of that. Mm-hmm. Just in my personal life, like I said, um, just understanding things and comprehending from a level of, okay, and then I'm Googling what words mean. I'm constantly Googling words. Yeah. You know, right. like I said, if I get medicine, I want to know side effects. Well, what is this? You know, I'm not a right. medical person. So mm-hmm. it just kind of helps me understand things. And then I just I just like to kind of make sure that, you know, even when I make posts, I'm always going back editing. Did I leave this word or does it sound? Because as an educator, mm-hmm. number one, I don't want to like not be politically correct with everything, but also I work off of grants. Right. So I want people right. to see that I'm using proper written expression skills and the proper grammar. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't get it right, but yeah, you know, my sister's like, your stuff is just always so nice. She was like, oh, that's the English teacher in you. Well, she's, a, she's a money person. She has a degree in accounting, so she deals with numbers and everything. But yeah, I love, I love linguistics. Great. I did some linguistics. That's course. amazing. Right. That's yeah. really amazing. We'll we, we be finishing up with this. And, uh, I, I want to ask you this question. Okay. As as an educator, church GDP. <laughs> it, I mean, it's coming for y'all. The, the AI is doing the work yeah. for most students right now. What are your thoughts on it? And, and you know, how, do you think this is helpful to kids? Do you think it's going to handicap a lot of kids? And how can education today in 2023 work alongside? Because it's it's here to stay, right? Mm-hmm. How we educators work alongside with things like AI to help their students? It's interesting that you ask that question because, like I said, I'm a news person. So they had a big thing on the news. I think it was one of the stations out of Dallas or San Antonio. And they were talking about that exact same thing. I don't think it's a bad thing if it can enhance something. But I think if it's to supplement something else, it could handicap a lot of students. Mm-hmm. It could handicap a lot of educators because, again, to me, the art of teaching is about engaging. Mm -hmm. And if you're using something else to supplement that, that's programmed, Mm -hmm. you're really not engaging. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And you're right. I know it's not going anywhere, but I think they're going to have to find a way to make sure that it's structured. Right. That it doesn't take away from the gist of what's trying to be done, you yes. know. And a lot of money is being put into it, so that's how I know that we have to prepare for it. And maybe by then I'll be retired. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> fully retired. No, exactly. You know, I was, I was, I was pretty, um, 
you know, I, I'm never the type of guy who's who's out there after the latest technology. If it came out right. yesterday, it would take me a few months before I even touch mm-hmm. it. But the other day, I went to charge it. Be, you know, it's funny because I'm a technology person. <laughs> I'm literally a software engineer, but Windows 11, I don't even know what it looks like. That's just how laid back I am with some stuff. I'm not. I'm not always in a rush. But I went to ChatGDP and I started, you know, talking to an AI, which felt weird. But mm-hmm. and then I thought about the benefits, the opportunities. But I also got scared to some extent when I was reading the news and the said ChatGDP actually passed the MCAT exam. Oh, and I was like, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if ChatGDP passed the MCAT exam then I need to check the credential of my doctor every time. I don't know how I got it. Degree, right? You know? And and I don't know. How how are you going to deal with kids and just, you know, help them still not lose those those skills and not just have yeah. a, an AI write your all essay for you and, you know, yeah. submit it or something. That's what I'm saying. The engagement aspect of it is going to be, um, it's going to be scrutinized a lot. You know, and I'm already a big proponent of not sending students out. Just because you walk across a graduation stage does not mean you're ready for post-secondary. The state hands you your diploma, but a lot of students are not. Mm -hmm. Students graduate all the time, reading below, you know, grade level. Mm -hmm. They don't have the basic skills that they need to be able to function, even with a, you know, I don't want to say minimal job, but, you know, just with your basic um, entry-level job. Right. So if you're, again, using something else to supplement a live person, live instruction, that feedback, that engagement, it's going to be suspect. Hey, we'll see what <laughs> You know, like I said, it's I know it's coming, but um, I'm not really totally prepared for it, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, it's coming down the pipeline real strong. Totally. We see. We see what the future. What's the future? And, and I'm seeing and a lot of um, a lot of educators are also inve- investing in um, this in a in a way to discover that it's an AI that wrote this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a paper out of uh, I believe it was MIT or how actually MIT. Uh, there is somebody who is actually who is developing another algorithm. Actually, it, to it already debunk. did. <laughs> yeah. No, he did. He actually yeah. developed. There's someone who developed something to. Uh, to show if something was generated by an AI. By an AI. So they're trying oh, to counter it? Yeah, yeah. trying to counter it. We're going to see more of that too because, again, it's a lot of money into it. And yeah. whoever comes up with the best one is going to be probably get a Nobel Peace Prize. Or something. <laughs> I don't know what they want. You know? yeah. I don't know, but yeah, you know, go for it. Hey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having been here. We, we always end up end up our, our interviewing a podcast mm-hmm. with a few questions that we have for you. Okay. You answer them in one word or less or a sentence or less, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. The first one is your favorite author. My favorite what? Author. 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 Oh. Yeah. Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Oh, Zora Neale Hurston. Their Eyes Were Watching God. That's like one of my favorite books. Mm. So I love Zora. Nice. Yeah. We, we definitely look, look, look it up. Mm-hmm. Your favorite book, you just said it. <laughs> yes, The Eyes Were Watching God. If, if you weren't a teacher, what else would you, would you be doing? An attorney. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, got, you got the skills for yeah. it. I, mean, you're, you're, you're <laughs> I thought about it. But easily like, do it. So, yeah. so uh, your morning habits. Your three top morning habits. Meditate, listen to worship music, and I have to sit at my island and eat breakfast. Nice. <laughs> nice. At all, what do you want to be remembered for? 
Um, my service to others. Your service. Yeah, right. service. Yeah, I have the gift of service actually. So that's what I want my um my legacy to be: how I service to others. That's great. Yeah. And the last one: if money was not a problem, where would you live? Greece. Why Greece? Um, I'm a big history person as well, and I just, you know, yeah, that's my. I would live there. Just everything about the country, and also biblically, you know, a lot right. of things took yeah, place in Greece. But just a practical answer: it's just a beautiful place. It's just when I see pictures of, it. and I'm planning to go there real soon. But it's just a beautiful place. It just looks so peaceful, and um, everyone that I know that have visited said. Like they didn't want to leave. Like it was one of the best vacays they had. That's great, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I believe it is that that we be ending this interview today. Miss Wills, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you all for by. having me. And uh, all the kids who are listening out there, who are still in high school or about to graduate, how can they contact you? People who are looking for scholarships, how can they reach out to your services? Of course. So I can be reached via my website, www.newfocusfyc.com, or you can find me on Instagram, newfocusfyc22, or on Facebook, New Focus Family and You Consultant, or by my name, Lataj Woods, L-O-N-T-A-G-E, Woods with an S. That's amazing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Adam, anything else? Oh, that's it. And um, really, it was really a great pleasure hosting you and uh, having to hear a little bit about what you do and your life and inspire others. And also, uh, we really do appreciate the service that you're doing for others, especially for the minority communities that need it more than any other group that's needing it now. Really, thank you so much for your service. And it's really a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you all. And you, if you are there and you you give your teachers hard time, please do not give hard time to Miss Woods. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's an amazing person, and also uh, make sure that you do not let the scholarships go without applying for them. A hundred million dollars that left, are left on top is a lot of money, and I think we can do a better job as a community. We can do a better job as people just to get people informed and to let them know that hey, there is money here and you can get it. And even for small businesses, and I know we have another time to talk about that. As a woman starting a small business, a small business, grants the opportunities, are out there as well. exactly the grants that are out there and the opportunities that are out there. Again, lack of information is definitely uh, uh, killing us a lot in the 21st century. A lot of people are dying for lack of information, which 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 is very terrible. But it's without that we'll be finishing this episode today. Thank you again for having joined us. We'll be meeting uh, next Tuesday. I think this will be the last episode of this season. And then we resume back with our third season. We appreciate you stopping by here. Y'all have a wonderful week and uh, God bless you. Bye-bye. <laughs>